Hello, and welcome to the Totally Clinical podcast, brought to you by Techro. Totally Clinical is a deep dive into the freshest trends, big time challenges, and most excellent triumphs of clinical trials. I'm Hannah, your host. Join me as I chat with industry experts, trailblazers, thought leaders, and most importantly, the people benefiting from clinical research. So tune in, settle back, and don't touch that dial. It's time to get totally clinical. This week, Bill Taff, Chief Strategy Officer at Affinity Health and one of the founding members of ICON, along with Chief Medical Officer of Techro, Brendan Buckley, join me on the podcast. During this episode, they have an in-depth discussion about the communication chasm between sponsors, CROs and sites and delve into some of the potential solutions. From the financial struggles of sites to the problems with decentralized and hybrid trials, old friends Brendan and Bill share their thoughts about how technology can help the industry move forward towards a more collaborative future. Welcome to the podcast and thank you both for joining me today. Let's get straight to the big question. There's clearly a communication disconnect between sponsors, CROs and sites. Bill, drawing on your extensive experience, what in your opinion are the main reasons for this? Yeah, I just want to go back to what you said in the introduction, you know, technology can help clinical trials going forward, and that is correct. But one of the things that is missing when we talk about technology for clinical trials is that sites are being overwhelmed with new technology. So technology is definitely going to help make site make clinical trials more efficient and get accurate data. But we've got to get the sites involved in any new technology is going to be applied. So it sort of gets around to answering what you said, you know, and you'll hear from me many times during this um, discussion, the sites are excluded from all discussions on trial designs and technology being used. And it's mind boggling to me. I've been in the CR world for 40, 45 years, only on the site side for a year and a half. And I was really surprised at how unsophisticated sites are and how unsupported they are. So the problem to me is you know, when people are planning, they talk about getting the stakeholders involved. Well, to me, the most important stakeholder is the site. We all need patients. And where do you get patients? You get patients at site. So sites should be consulted, supported, loved throughout the clinical trial. But that's not happening. I begin to see some progress where people are beginning to recognize that, oh, my God, if we help the site, our study would move on and we'd recruit the patients. So it's not exactly a communication issue. It's a planning issue. And why sites have never been involved in all the planning is a mystery to me, because you could decide between CROs and pharma the best way to conduct this trial, the best technology, etc. And then you go to the site. And you find what the site, you know, can support all this new technology. So it's an inclusion issue for me. And sites have to be involved in the planning and any new technology that's going to be used. Brendan, what do you think? Yeah. And for many sites, the evidence is that investigators often are one and done. A high proportion of investigators who do one clinical trial find it so burdensome that they never do another. And the burden in most sites, other than those that are almost exclusively set up to do clinical trials, the burden in general sites you know, around the world 
is that investigators and their staff tend to do the work of trials as an overhead to their day job. So they need a lot of support and consultation and training. And one of the difficulties that I had, the accumulation of different technologies is astonishing. I used to have a photograph of my storage room, which had eight different models of ECG machine, all different for different trials. And the proliferation of different electronic technologies now is a real irritation. So you could be doing 12 trials, say, as a small oncology unit, and you would use 12 different versions of EDC and 12 different versions of randomization and 12 different everythings. So it's a big problem. And a lot of the time trials sites are expected to just embrace new technologies and take them in. And nobody actually asks them what they'd like or what would be most suitable for them. The financial health of many sites is a concern. Bill, how do you think this problem can be addressed? Well, let me just go back and define the problem, really. It goes back to what Brendan said, one and done. And a lot of sites got involved in clinical trials. They were told they're going to get so much per patient. And they said, right, let's go ahead and do it. Now, a lot of them didn't even look at the protocol and didn't do a proper budgeting exercise. The study started and extra work was required and they went ahead and did it and then found at the end they lost money. And they said, listen, this was not worth it, a lot of work and we're not doing it again. And I've been at a number of conferences recently where there's a huge concern about the financial health of sites. The survey done recently by SCRS, that's a site of clinical research sites, and something like 60, 70% of study sites are operating on about 60, 70 days of cash flow. Now that's not sustainable. You can actually blame the sites in a way because they weren't sophisticated enough to actually do a budgeting exercise and look at all the aspects of the clinical trials. And what we saw in this CRO world years ago is that, yes, you put a budget together, you do your exercise when you get the protocol and then you submit it. But what happens in every clinical trial, there are changes and sites are not in a position, they don't have the business acumen or they just don't have the business skills to track all the new activities that happen in the in clinical trial, there are protocol changes, there's new technology. And another stat at a conference, and this is actually very true because I've heard a number of times, that was analysis done by 100 studies and sites left between 40 and 50% of the budget on the table because they did not go back and recover their costs. So the answer is a better budgeting process and Affinity is actually working with a number of groups to put together a budgeting plan. And we're using, Affinity is actually all CRO people. I mean, believe it or not, they're all ex-ICON people. And we know the process. So we're helping sites put together a better budgeting plan and what we call in the CRO world recovery. Get paid for everything you do. And that sounds very obvious. If I do something, I'm get paid for it. But the sad part of it is we're, we're experiencing, and I can give you a recent example of a CRO saying, sorry, we're not that's your cost of business. They wanted us to adopt a new reporting platform. None of the staff knew anything about it. We had training, and then you had tech support. And a lot of sites would accept that. But that's a huge amount of time. So we're pushing back, and they're pushing back. And it makes no sense to me. If they want to do, us to do something extra, please pay for it. And I'm pushing this. This is going back to my CRO days. We had the same issue early on. But 
As we all know today, CROs get paid for everything they do. The scope changes are a big part of the revenue, and it's a legitimate revenue. So the answer is better budgeting and better recovery. So better budgeting. Brendan, what do you think? I think there's a fundamental issue behind all of that as well, which is that the sponsors and indeed the CROs view sites frequently in a very commoditized way. So the site is an organization which signs a contract with the sponsor or the CRO to do particular activities, and they're expected to deliver on that on that contract. And it's forgotten that trials often are an overhead on them. And very frequently, the smaller sites, which are the lifeblood of big phase three studies, smaller sites have real difficulty in maintaining recruitment of staff. So for example, if one is paid on a per patient basis, how do you contract a study nurse for the duration of a two-year study when your cash flow is of the order of 60 days? Now in Europe, we have a real issue in that there are significant employment laws which just uh, prevent hiring and firing of people just on an expedient level. So it's difficult for new sites to come on board for new investigators to come in and commit themselves to participation in this. And it's fundamentally got to be changed. Sites have got to be regarded not as a kind of anonymous commodity that can be hired like pork bellies or something like that. They've got to be understood to be the absolute raw material of the trial. And without them, the trials can't continue. Now, decentralised and hybrid trials have been talked about considerably insofar as providing a potential solution for some of the issues around patient recruitment. Do you think this could have a positive impact on sponsor site relations, starting with you, Brandon? Well, decentralised trials, I think, contain very little to the benefit of sites. And in fact, they present significant risks to investigators. So if you look at the fundamental documents, which determine how clinical trials have got to be done, ICH, GCP, and the Declaration of Helsinki. Investigators have very onerous and very clear obligations to participants in trials for their safety. ICH, GCP 4.3 and Declaration of Helsinki 16 are very well known to ethics committees and IRBs and regulators, but they never appear to enter the discussion and the team's meetings and the webinars promoting the idea of decentralized trials. So investigators participate in these at risk of their license and their indemnity insurance if the more remote they are from the participants in the trial. If you're not, if you don't have a doctor-patient relationship with the participant of the trial, you're increasing your own risk as an investigator. So I think that's a significant problem. Second thing is that well, hybrid trials, who knows what a hybrid trial is? They they vary a lot in different therapeutic areas. What would be a hybrid phase one trial? What would be a hybrid phase four trial? These are cardiovascular prevention diabetes versus oncology. So people tend to talk of clinical trials as if they're a homogeneous, unvarying entity. But it's horses for courses. You can do wonderful hybrid trials very efficiently in particular therapeutic areas, but you can't in others. Often, it's not very well understood by those who discuss it, what it is like to be an investigator or a coordinator or a study nurse 
or indeed a trial participant. And Bill, what are your thoughts? As we said earlier, hybrid trials have been around us in some form for a long time, you know, with EPROs and, and diaries. And that was pretty straightforward. I mean, the biggest challenge with hybrid trials is the number of new data sources. The site is responsible, going back to what Brendan said, the Prince Investigator is the signature on the 1572. He has responsibility for everything that happens with that patient, whether it's at home or whether it's at the site. So all these new sources of data are now becoming a challenge. And the FDA and other regulators are beginning to question, well, the way the data is collected at home for one visit, is it comparable to the way data was collected at the site? And there is actually no validation yet of that. So there's questions now about the amount of data, which is great that you're getting a lot of new data on on the patients, but who is going to interpret it? And the other question is popping up recently. You've got vendors and you've got healthcare nurses visiting sites and they're entering it into their laptops or tablets. Who owns the data? And that's, again, that should be the investigator. But the investigator, and this is a big issue for some sites now, they do not have any say in the selection of the vendor that's going to the patient's home. And I spoke to a number of sites that, listen, I am not participating unless I do due diligence on third-party provider who's going to be involved, and I have oversight of that vendor. That is not happening. So there is a lot to be said about hybrid trials. It does reduce the burden. But we're also hearing that some patients actually prefer the social aspect of going to the site. And as popped up recently on the study we were involved in, the patient said, I don't want anybody coming to my home. I don't want my neighbours or my family knowing that I'm in a, a clinical trial. So there's all these issues, and it comes back again, as I said earlier, I'm going to keep saying this, if you had the sites involved at the beginning, they could tell you the challenges and they could guide you on the technology and the challenges. Earlier, we talked about investigators and one and done. Do you think that decentralised or hybrid trials will make physicians more or less likely to take part in trials? Certainly, looking back to my 35, 40-year persona as an investigator, I wouldn't have anything to do with a decentralized trial, I'm afraid, because I I would be concerned about my legal and professional exposure. And hybrid trials, well, it depends. It all depends on the trial. There are wonderful ways of doing hybrid trials which minimize inconvenience to participants and make it easier. There are all sorts of sensible, innovative approaches that one can do with hybrid trials. But... It all depends on the trial. So if I were doing a cardiovascular outcomes trial in a new diabetes drug, hybrid is perfect because patients with diabetes are used to measuring a whole pile of things on themselves every day. But if I'm a participant in an oncology study, I'm really struggling to find other than quality of life data, which are collected anyway in all oncology trials these days, how I can so to speak, hybridize the trial in any way that improves it. And I would like to add here that there's a lot of good things about hypertrials and a lot of good things about the technology that's going to be used, but everything is moving too quickly. And I think sites will get involved in hybrid trials if they are supported, if they're involved in the beginning, and if they're compensated for all of the time and the training and the oversight and the IT aspect of it, they definitely will. It's in their interest to, it's a business. Most sites 
in the past, as Brendan said, it was sort of an overhead thing, but a lot of these small sites, as Brendan said, are the bread and butter of these big phase two trials. They're actually in it for making money now. You know, reimbursement in the U.S. has become a problem. Sites see clinical trials as a new revenue vertical. But unfortunately, they just didn't know how to budget. But they're beginning to learn. I mean, there's a lot of movement in with groups like SCRS in educating investigators to trying to avoid this one and done. And so, yes, I think sites will embrace hybrid trials. I don't think sites are going to embrace decentralized trials. As Brendan said, you know, everything's at risk here. Your license and your signature of the 1572, which can involve federal action against you and your site if you do not comply with it. 1572 regulations. So to me, it's all about embracing the sites, telling them what is going to happen up front. Here's the technology we're going to use. Here's the vendor we're going to use. And here's how the data is collected. And what I've seen is sort of anecdotal, but some of the activities of some of these third-party vendors could actually be conducted by the site themselves. So if they talk to the site and say, we're going to use a vendor for this activity, the site can say, well, hold on, I can do that. And that would be huge. I mean, that would take another party out of the mix and another source of oversight. So a long-winded response to the question, but my answer is yes, sites will embrace it if they're supported and if they get paid. There's a key word here as well, which is simplification. So basically, the way that you get sites to do stuff is to make life easier for them than they already have to endure. If you make life more difficult, they're less likely to participate and to continue to execute the study properly. But making life simple for them, which we can do now, is really the key to participation, to getting people in as new investigators and sites and keeping them there. So anything that we in the industry, either as service providers or as sponsors, can do to make life easy for sites is really worthwhile and valuable. But the moment you make life more difficult, you're putting people off. Now, Bill, you have an idea about a site liaison and how this can really make a difference for sites and the people who work at them. There's one company, maybe two, that have come up with a site liaison person. Now, that's in addition to the CRA. And this one company who I spoke to said, we recognize the burden. We recognize that the site now has a lot more complicated input into the management of this clinical trial. And what's very true is the the life of the study coordinator used to be very simple. The patient would come in, they take the data, enter into EDC. That was it. That was the study coordinator job. The study coordinator job today is doing exactly what I just said, but also now working with different vendors and home healthcare people. And they've got to manage visits. They've got to let the patient know when the visits are happening. They've got to take questions from the patients about, you know, what went wrong with the visit or they didn't like such and such a thing or the sample collection kit they got was the wrong one. So the, the, the study coordinator job is really changing dramatically. And by having a site liaison person actually helps educate and support that study coordinator. And again, I'm sort of crossing over here a little bit, but um, Brendan touched on it, you know, the staffing issues at sites like anywhere else is an issue. And one of the biggest issues is that study coordinators are not paid as well as a CRA. And so pharma and CROs see that and they take the study coordinators and then they complain my study's not going well. Well, they've just taken the study coordinator. But if the site recovered all of the costs 
they could compensate the study coordinator and they could actually create a nice career path. That is a key issue. You know, the study coordinator's job has changed dramatically. And Brendan, what other things will help improve the situation for people working at sites? I think one of the things that would help a great deal would be to reevaluate how much futile activity is invested in the trial. So we know, for example, that about from Central Watch, about 60% of all monitoring activity has no effect whatsoever on the outcome or the integrity of the trial. And it's a very expensive activity. I think refining what the CRA does would help considerably in allowing them to be much more of a support to sites and to be viewed as such, rather than to be seen as a kind of a policeman of sites. The second thing which astonishes me is that we're one of the few industries which operates very much in the past. So a monitoring visit which goes to a site maybe every six weeks, identifies problems that have occurred long ago and over which they have no influence whatsoever. So, you know, you discover that somebody mishandled the toxicity, not according to protocol, six weeks ago. Well, the house has already burned down, you know. It's, it's too late. So identifying that it happened is one thing. We need to be much more real-time and proactive. So a key to modernizing clinical trials and to getting them from a state where they're almost identical to the way we did it in 1984 when I did my first one. The way to to get that is to suddenly start thinking about real-time data and real-time monitoring and real-time intervention. So we want the ability for sponsors to be able to see what's happening now in the site's interaction with the participant in the study. Finding out what happened six weeks ago is too late. So knowing what to do now, 24 hours a day, and what's going on in the trial in real time is simple to do with modern technology, but nobody has got around to saying, what are we doing that's wasteful? Let's get rid of it and let's try to get into the real time. And Bill, I know you have thoughts about the role of the CRA and how it should evolve. In the past, CRAs knew everything about the trial. They knew all about the medical aspects, the data collection, the stats. Today, the CRA is a, a road warrior who comes in and monitors source documents. And that you ask them any questions about the study, they quite often don't know it. And the most frustrating thing for the sites is they tell the CRA, you know, we're having issues with this home healthcare provider. They're not sending the right people out. They're not collecting the right data. The CRA don't even know who's involved. So it's a, the CRA role has to change. And the training of the CRA I don't, as just a, a road warrior is actually making it very difficult for the sites. They rely on the CRA as the person who they can go to, but they're now finding out that is not the case, particularly in decentralized trials where there are different vendors involved. I think back to a previous point you made, Bill, you know, if we take away the activities of a CRA that are traditional but futile and non-contributory, we then make a lot of time for them to be site support people, the ally of the site, rather than somebody that the site slightly fears when they come and visit. It'd be a much nicer job as well. Absolutely, yeah. The turnover in the, in the CRA pool is horrendous, 30 plus percent, because they're bored and they get burnt out. 
So I've had conversations with site staff on this very podcast and have heard that some are starting to find their voice and that sponsors and CROs are beginning to realise they can't ignore the communications gap. So there is hope. On a more optimistic note, have you seen any signs of improvement at all? Yes and no. Um, the majority of sites I've spoken to say no, there is no real improvement. In fact, things have got worse. You know, the burden the site has increased and they're having to fight to get paid for their activities. And that is sad to me. I've been in this industry a long time and I just didn't realise how bad these sites were treated or not supported. The great thing about having worked in ICON is ICON's been around almost 30 years. There's ICON people everywhere in almost every pharma company, biotech company. So I can easily pick up the phone to a number of people. And I've talked to two small biotech companies who immediately have put in place site liaison people. They recognize it. So in, in these sort of anecdotal examples, but they see it and they see the importance and they are taking action. And there's a lot of discussion at conferences. I've been at three site-based conferences since last November, two SCRS and one MAGI. And the problems and the challenges for sites are being addressed. The last conference was a very good one. There was a pharma representative, a CRO representative, and two site representatives. And it was very open discussion. And both pharma and CROs recognized that we're doing a terrible job. You know, you guys are the key stakeholders and we need to improve it. So it, it is being talked about, but it hasn't filtered through yet. There are certainly ways of making life a lot simpler for sites. And uh, we in, in Tecra are very focused at that. And simplification is a big factor in that. The other source of hope, I think, is that, and maybe the decentralized trial issue is a symbol that people are rethinking how trials could be done better. I don't think that is the right solution, but there are other ways, I think, that may be exposed as improvements, which can move clinical trial conduct into the 21st century to the benefit of patients and to the benefit of sites as well. And uh, I think, again, the key is simplification and site satisfaction. If the site likes technology, they need to get that technology because if it makes them happy, they will recruit patients to your study and they'll follow them through and make sure that they don't drop out of the study along the line. So I think attention paid to sites really pays off and trying not to think of sites in a commodified fashion is the first step in that. And that's your dose of Totally Clinical. You can download our podcast on Apple, Spotify and Google. Please subscribe and leave a rating and review so more people can find the show. See you on your next visit and remember to bring your friends. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.